welcome to Digital Done Right, where we talk all things digital and automation marketing. My name is Dustin Trout, and with me is Brian Barrett, owner of OCT Performance Marketing and Automated Digital. And today we're going to be talking all things digital and automation, and today specifically going to be talking about how digital and the digital transformation is really impacting governments and, and really how uh, you know the leaders are, are defining laws and, and really just the impacts of, of overall law when it comes to the digital transformation. So before kind of kick off, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I mean, what are, what are your thoughts just on, on how governments are using technology, how it's impacting, you know, how services are provided to the citizens uh, and whatnot. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Um, as consumers, like if I go do like my vehicle registration or submit some tax forms or anything like that, it seems like there's a lot of differences where some of it's in person, some of it's like you physically got to sign stuff and mail it in. I think on the IRS side, they've gotten more um, digital signature friendly. Um, but then on the city level or county or state level, all the organizations, because they all are siloed, uh, all the experiences are very, very different. And, you know, now that we're talking about this topic, um, as consumers, I've just kind of come to expect that I take what they give, right? Mm -hmm. If they're like, uh, um, not an awesome website with poor customer experience, I'm like, okay with that. So I think, uh, with COVID, since people can't come in, um, the municipalities have had to become <clears throat> offer a lot of their services digitally, and they're starting to think more like consumer brands versus government agencies. You, know, you see topics like analytics and machine learning and customer experience. All those topics are starting to come up. And the interesting thing is when a government gets mobilized, it, at least at the surface, uh, some of the early adopters of technology, um, there's a lot of resource and focus behind it. So you see more traditional digital marketing roles. Like you got like chief technology officers who aren't just focused on like the nuts and bolts about making things work, but now in their, um, in their scope of work, they're doing, you know, digital, uh, more digital connection, uh, initiatives. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree. And I mean, you bring up a good point with uh, consumers and I mean, brand just getting more digital in general. And then you have COVID. I mean, one thing you mentioned that really sticks out is you kind of just accept the fact that it looks like websites from the government are from 1995, that things don't work. I mean, it's it, it's just you've come to accept it. Do you think that uh, the citizens are going to want more efficiency, a better way to communicate with the governments? I mean, I thought it was so awesome that whenever I could actually renew my registration online and not have to sit in line for two hours. Um, so, I mean, do you think the demand from government agencies is going to increase from uh, the citizens? I think where it will help is the government, more consumers will be timely with their car registrations. They'll submit tax payments or file for um, whatever sort of paperwork they need to get approvals to do things. I think the benefit, obviously, it'll be to the consumer to make things easier, but more so the municipalities will be able to work more efficiently. And from a cash flow perspective, and a forecasting perspective, they'll be able to meet those because I think uh, a, a lot of what happens because of a poor digital experience is um, consumers just aren't participating because there's there's the hurdles. 
Yep. No, that makes sense. And one, one thing that I think will, I mean, between people wanting it more, but I think everyone's kind of recognizing it is uh, basically just a, a center body that that helps with this, helps uh, government agencies expedite the digital transformation. And uh, there's something similar to like the WHO that was created just for digital. And it's actually called the, the Center for Digital Government. Um, and it's a national research and advisory institute um, that just looks at in information technology and policy, best practices, both at the state and government level. Um, I mean, do you think that this is something that's beneficial to governments? Um, do you think this is going to be a, an ever-growing role and as we move forward as a society? Yeah, I think the, um, you know, having a, a it's not a governing board, but it's kind of a think tank mm -hmm. in a source providing resources. I mean, even thinking about like nonprofits or even for-profit businesses, building an entire digital team, not just with the, the human capital, but also the technolo technologic infrastructure. I mean, it's a daunting task. And those are like multi-year roadmap <laughs> sort of projects. But the government is not the government, various forms of governments and legislative bodies and stuff. They... That's not their job. They're not, their job is not like lead generation or selling a shirt or whatever. I mean, their job is to administer uh, policy and get the uh, citizens to participate. Uh, so having an initiative, you know, like the Center for Digital Government and having a governing board that's producing resources, I think is, is a really great service. Um, you know, ultimately, it's up to the various municipalities to take advantage of that. But the fact that there is a, uh, this organization that can help is a good uh, is a great step in the right direction. Yeah. No, at the end of the day, it is up to the municipalities. I mean, generally what they do is, uh, I mean, as kind of mentioned, it is comprised of public and private sector leaders. Um, they help with the decision support. They help with knowledge and opportunities um, to really learn and incorporate new technologies for the 21st century. So I think something, I mean, anything that deals with the government, typically it's just, it takes a while. So something that's not a government body that that kind of helps that is comprised of the private sector. I think the collaboration between the two is where there's going to be a lot of a lot of success. And even with that, I mean, it's it's. I wonder how many how much taxpayers or tax dollars are are wasted from inefficiencies and forcing people to drive to MVD or do dr drive across the valley or whatever it may be to to do something. So it'll be interesting to see what what this uh, this group can do um, to expedite that that overall growth. Because I mean, as you mentioned, it's it's not a this is done in, in two months, three months. I mean, everything that that a lot of these governments are, are outlining. I mean, that's a five year roadmap to to transform. There seems to be a, a shift also in uh, collective knowledge um, since there are uh, government agencies are getting more technology friendly. They're having to bring um, employees from outside um, from the private sector. So those private sector digital employees, they understand technology, um, the idea of building technology in-house, like building their own chat app. Mm -hmm. you know, that just isn't efficient. Um, so there, there seems to be a shift to pulling technology off the shelf and integrating it into into their workflow rather than spending all that time and money, not just to build tools, but also then support tools and grow tools and innovate. So that's a that's a big shift, which, you know, as we know, building your own, I mentioned chatbot, like that's a pretty hefty endeavor um, just to build it and support it. So 
it, it seems like a, a great move to start taking the best of breed from outside public uh, sources and integrating into, into the technology framework. Yeah. I mean, I wonder what this is going to do on the overall just digital, uh, job landscape. I mean, it seems like governments are jumping in. I mean, there's, there's going to be a huge influx in, in job creation and opportunities when it comes to the digital, digital side of things. Mm-hmm. And from an agency perspective, um, you know, I'm just thinking of, you know, just purely thinking about RFPs. It, it kind of presents, I mean, it's obviously a new, a new vertical, but because there's a, a lot of transparency and scrutiny there, I think the RFP process will become much more black and white, mm-hmm. which I think benefits agencies. So there's no playing favorites. There's uh, much more specific guidelines in which governments need work for. So the bids for the work will be um, will be a lot more specific. Um, and in order to win that business, you know, it's, it's very discreet on your capabilities and your price, um, versus things like how creative you are. Um, so, so from an agency perspective, I look at that as a good opportunity. It it opens up a whole new sector, um, because those more digitally savvy, um, municipalities and government agencies, you know, they're going to need traditional stuff like let's work on the user experience on the website but when they go out to bid for that it can't just be generic you know they have protocols for hiring new contractors it's no different than saying you know we need to bring in more resources to do this infrastructure project on building out you know sewer you know, it's a very discreet. They're like, we need this many lineal feet of piping. We need it done by X. Here are, here are, you know, you need to have this many inches of concrete for this and that. And it becomes very, very black and white. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a, that'll be a, an interesting shift. And I think there will be some, you know, some agencies that will come out um, kind of as clear winners of how they take advantage of that and really have to shift how they, think about proposals and pitch and actually administer work. Yeah. I mean, keeping on the, the subject of, of agencies, I mean, do you think it's going to shift how agencies price things out? I mean, cause right now it's like, I mean, you can ask someone, what is the cost of SEO? And it's like, Oh, I've heard 200 bucks. I've heard 10 grand. I mean, it's, it's all over the place. I mean, it's tough because it's service-based business, but do you think this will create more of a formality around pricing or how things are priced? Cause it is kind of, kind of all over the place. Yeah, I think if you want your agency to play in that space, you need to figure out how to play by those rules and win business. Um, and part of that is if the government agency doesn't know how to create the proposal, like you use SEO as an example, if they don't say, if they just say, hey, we need to do better SEO, you know, that's oftentimes what we hear from customers. And then we have to educate them on what they should be looking at. You know, these proposals go the other way. The government agency says, I need to be ranked number one. I know that's a little bit broad and a a very, you know, you can't guarantee that. But just for illustration purposes, they will say, here's what we need versus the agency telling them what they should do. Um, Because, again, in in the public sector... That that doesn't, you know, they, they can't go to market with that because there's a lot of scrutiny and every dollar and uh, needs to be accounted for. And also the um, transparency in the decision making process. Um, you know, some bids or some proposals would be based purely on the lowest cost. As long as you check check these boxes, 
and you can deliver X, Y, and Z on the SEO proposal. And, you know, you can do it for five grand. The other guy can do it for 7,500. If in fact, low cost is a goal, the 5k guy will always get it. Yeah. I say always, but as long as the criteria are met, they'll, they'll just get the, they'll just get the work. Yeah. So it, it becomes incumbent on the agency to, you know, probably refine their cost structure, um, you know, really think through what it like at a much more discrete level, what it'll take to get the project done. And then obviously the governance of that project once it gets going. So I guess what I'm saying is um, I think it'll make agencies really think through their cost structure and how they make money. Yeah. I mean, it, it really just sounds like what's going to happen. It's going to be more performance-based models. Instead of I need SEO, it's I need this outcome. You let me mm-hmm. know what services are needed to to achieve that outcome. And, uh, which I think, I mean, I think that's awesome. Cause I mean, that's not, to me, that's how it should be. It's like, nah, you don't, you don't need SEO. You need more leads or you need more qualified leads, you need more phone, whatever that is. What is the outcome that you need? And, mm-hmm. uh, this is what services will provide in order to achieve that. And I think that'll be a huge shift because most agencies are just used to, here's our management fee, here's our SEO fees. And it's just, uh, not outcome specific, but more service oriented. So I think it'll be a huge shift there. The other thing too is there's kind of two things that popped in my mind. One is pretty strict guidelines on when things are delivered. You know, <laughs> at least, you know, in agency world, you present a, a timeline, let's say for a website, and you're like, we'll have it done in six months. And then there's like all this back and forth, and the project gets pushed out and pushed out and pushed out. And then at some point in the project, you're just like, you know, whatever, we'll get it done when it gets done. Um, in this sort of environment, it holds not only the agency accountable, but the client, uh, the government agency accountable, um, because again, the proposal is extremely tight in a box and that project based on strategic roadmaps for the, the government agency, it has to be accomplished because taxpayer dollars have been set aside and allocated to this project. Mm -hmm. So if the government agency drags their feet or goes around and around and around with revisions and or the agency does that, then there's not going to be a lot of, um, there's not going to be a lot of flexibility or, or the reasons for the delays are going to have to be very, very um, legitimate and justified. And the other really cool thing is there is an expectation when there is an additional feature added or the timeline gets pushed out, there is an assumed cost to that. So it really helps agencies from the perspective. A lot of times we eat the cost and time because of the rounds of revisions or maybe an increased enhancement here, an increased hand enhancement there. We don't want to go through the proposal pro- process again. Um, so I think from a, again, I mentioned the word governance, you know, it, if you do, if the project goes long, agency gets paid more money. If additional features are added, agency gets more money. Um, so, I mean, obviously, it's not about agencies making all the money. It's about delivering value to the government or the municipality. Um, but I think there's a lot of benefits for the agencies who want to play in that space. They don't all want to play in that space. Yeah, yeah. A, lot, a lot of red tape to uh, to jump through and a lot of a lot of time pitching in order to win. Um, but that, I mean, you bring up all good points. I mean, staying on track, making sure things are done on time. I mean, that kind of brings us to uh, the the next point, which would love to hear your thoughts on on this. You know, that governing body that's there. They're actually uh, they've created a uh, an award system at the national uh, or not national, but state, county and city level um, based off of how how governments are progressing in their digital transformation. Um, I mean, what are your what are your thoughts on that? I mean, is it just kind of a 
don't know. Hoorah, no one really cares. Or do you think this is something that that is good that does benefit the innovation and and how quickly things are getting done? Yeah, I like it. I think it goes back to who what your who your who's on your team, mm-hmm. you know, starting with leadership. Um, and not just like who you're, I haven't seen titles like CMO and I don't think we're going to see those for a long time. Like the idea of funding a marketing officer, like everyone that lives in a county has to use the, <laughs> the government agency. Like you're not, have, don't have competing agencies. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, customer experience is huge and depending on what you're trying to accomplish, I mean, just I've talked about chat, but think about having a, a live chat, for example, mm-hmm. rather than getting in a uh, phone queue um, to answer simple questions or reset a password or even make a payment online, like those sorts of things, they can be handled completely digitally. And not only can they be handled completely digitally, which is faster and less expensive, that information immediately goes into whatever system needs to capture that on the the government side or process the payment or whatever. So there's less error in uh, capturing that information. Uh, there's less delay in capturing that information. Payments get processed a lot faster. Um, so, you know, I, I don't like saying it's a win-win, but it, it really is. I mean, the, the customers are happier because it's easier um, and then the, the agencies, obviously, they can refine their administrative cost structure and they get paid faster. Yeah. If, if customers happy, you know, and that like I've had the experience where there's so many different systems, even within like, you know, from a small business perspective, like doing payroll taxes and all these different things, there's all these different agencies. And I mean, I've started processes of like filling out paperwork and stuff and then stopped just because it's an onerous process. <laughs> yeah. I mean, simply like you mentioned websites from 1995 and they just don't work as good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's tough. And I mean, you bring up a lot of good points. I mean, the, the cost of how long things take the errors, I mean, the people to manage phones. I mean, on, if you don't have live chat, I mean, there's a lot, I think of wasted tax dollars by not leveraging digital um, quicker. With that being said, I think that there should be some sort of tax incentive program. There should be some incentive program to expedite this, whether it's at the federal level that goes down to the state or state that trickles down to the county level or county down to city, whatever that may be. But I mean... There's kind of two thoughts here. One, there's there's a lot of wasted tax dollars, I think, uh, you know, just in the admin side. But there's also a large chunk of the workforce that is employed by the government. And so, I mean, I know jobs reports and stuff that just came out recently, they talked about because there's budget cuts at, at the government level that that's impacting numbers. So, I mean, it's how how do you foresee, I guess, us balancing the let's get super efficient for this cost savings, but at the cost of, you know, people's jobs? Or do you think because there is innovation that there's going to be jobs created that we don't even know within the government, for example, the CMO, maybe we lose a ton of admin workers that are managing phones. And now that budget can can be created to oversee how technology is is created at the government level. I mean, what are your thoughts on, on I guess, weighing those, those uh, options? Yeah. You know, first of all, it's like a multi-decade shift <laughs> that has to happen. You know, thinking about outsourcing certain, certain jobs to India or China or something like that. Um, you know, I, we've kind of, the pendulum has swung the other way in a lot of industries. I'll take call centers, for example. Yeah, you can get things off offshore for less expensive, but then the customer experience drops. So then, you know, the cost benefit is, well, let's bring them back. Um, so, but during that time, 
a lot of U.S. workers got displaced. So then, you know, what happens, we're losing jobs, but it does give, uh, presents the opportunity for the American workers uh, to get retooled, reskilled, and then get higher level, higher paying jobs. So that's why I mean, it take, you know, it's a multi-decade sort of thing. Uh, e- even over the past couple of weeks, I have multiple conversations. You know, we have some automation tools and, you know, automation by definition is more efficient, costless, and it, it removes human elements and human tasks from the process. And there's been multiple conversations where clients we've been pitching literally say, this is awesome, but people are going to lose their jobs. And that's the end of the conversation. So, um, you know, working with nonprofits or, you know, I remember working with one of the largest hospitals, um, you know, they they just, one of their initiatives is to employ human beings. So no matter what technology you bring uh, to the table, irrespective of how efficient or smart or cost savings it is, you know, they, and I think it's a, a good decision is to keep people employed. Now, in the long run, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. From the perspective of obviously like my city agencies aren't competing against other city agencies, um, you know, but thinking of, you know, power companies and stuff during deregulation, I can choose sometimes who I get power from. And that's like way out there from a municipality perspective. But, you know, getting power for decades and decades and decades, you know, you had a choice, but now you have other choices. So, you know, obviously there's policy mm-hmm. <laughs> and all that that needs to be put in place. But, you know, again, 30 years out, 40 years out, all that sort of stuff. I think we're starting to see the groundwork for even considering a shift over the next 20 or 30 years. Yeah. No, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's it's there. I mean, there are going to be people that that it takes their job. But I think with the efficiencies and everything, you can redistribute that money into education and educate, educating uh, society on how to use technology, how to look at data, how to look at all the um, whatnot. And uh, from that, then they'll be employed. I mean, going back to someone said, this is great, but you know, it's going to take someone's job. I have a feeling that that person is probably smart enough to fill some other hole or gap in the business. It's not a matter of Oh, well, it's going to take their job. We're done. It's a matter of how can we rethink what, what their job role is? I mean, sure, they were doing this for a while, but is there another role that could be created now that we have a little bit more time that this automation is, is creating? So it's, I do, I, I mean, that's always the biggest argument that's going to take jobs, but at the same time, it's, I always go back to the industrial revolution. You know, it's the, the people that, that were hand making shoes. It's not like now we have less jobs because we have shoe factories and machines making shoes that now there are more shoe brands and now there's more job opportunity and growth. It's just a matter of rethinking it and, and just thinking of a new norm. And so I think that's, that's what it's going to come down to is, uh, uh, how, how the, the efficiencies are, are reallocated and, and put back into education. Yeah. You mentioned training, um, not talking about training the employees, but, um, society, the normal consumer being trained. I think we're already trained to use digital. Like, Mm -hmm. We already buy stuff on Amazon. We already make our cable payments online. We set up automatic stuff. Like we're already accustomed to it. Um, I just don't think we've come to expect it from government yeah. agencies again because we don't we don't have a choice. Um, so the value proposition is is I think purely 
it'd be a hard value proposition to pitch and get uh, agencies to accept, but it would be on, we get our money more quickly and our admin time has gone down. Yeah. So there's even, so kind of rewinding what I said about human resources. I don't even know how a, 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 a government agency would even get funding to do like a big website or technology integration or something like that without that business case. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know because you can't say, you know, on the consumer front, you know, increasing conversion rate, you know, it <laughs> starts at the top of the funnel and it lowers your cost per sale and all this sort of stuff. It, well, I guess it, it is kind of the same, um, you know, thinking yeah. about cost per sale or cost per, you know, revenue yeah. generation. It, you kind of hear what I'm saying. Yep. You know, oh, yeah. I'm thinking of the business case and what would make agencies accelerate adopting technology. Yeah. I don't think it's consumers. I think it's the agency building the business case. Yep. No, I agree. I mean, it comes down to, is there a cost savings on the taxpayer? Can we do more? Can we impact the taxpayer more? And I think if you can figure out how a website or SEO or video, whatever that's going to do is going to have that direct impact that it's either going to going to save money or, or drive additional revenue. I think if you can clearly show that, that's probably, that's probably where the business case will be used. Cause at the end of the day, people are like, I don't care how much traffic I have as long as, you know, the taxpayer dollars is, are being spent well. And I mean, Someone that's really doing it well, that going back to the awards, I mean, bringing it kind of here locally, uh, what's interesting is Mesa actually won uh, an award for digital governance um, excellence, and uh, it, it's pretty awesome. But I mean, what are your overall thoughts on just how the state of Arizona, the Phoenix Valley, the cities around here are using digital and, and technology as, as a whole? Yeah, there's kind of a lot, a few layers. We've been talking a lot about the customer's direct interaction. But there's also businesses that interact with the government. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know the percentage, but it could be a larger percentage of, you know, revenue for the state, um, you know, like pulling permits and doing all those sorts of things. Uh, so on that front, uh, agencies have to innovate. And, you know, like you mentioned before, we've got city, we've got county, we've got state. So I think what it will take are cities like Mesa who are trying to innovate and then they prove that use case and then it kind of rolls up. Mm -hmm. um, even initiatives, I think it's wise to do like smart city um, sort of planning and initiatives um, because the idea of a smart city, I mean, there's a lot of interpretations of that and you can go crazy with it. Um, but I think those are worthwhile investments to start making now. Um, cause it's a, a huge endeavor just thinking about the physical geographic space. Um, even thinking about, you know, we all know how stoplights work, mm -hmm. um, but thinking about just making those smart and how that data is connected to a central hub and how it makes for the commute to be better. And then also for, you know, like the police department and the fire department work more efficiently and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense to start figuring that out. I mean, getting a full adoption of smart city and all that sort of stuff, that's uh, pretty ambitious, but you got to start somewhere. So it's cool to think about um, some of the, the local cities and counties starting to embrace that. Um, yes, yeah, so I think it's super positive. And then the other thought too is it's really dependent on your constituency. Like it makes a lot of sense in more urban areas. Um, 
you know, where there's a lot of resources consumed um, by various agencies because there's a tight cluster of people and maybe there's an economic profile where it makes sense. Whereas if in your, you're in a rural area, like it's kind of irrelevant. Um, so I think you'll see areas, cities, counties, states that have a uh, more dense population. Some of this technology might make more sense. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. I mean, there's there's so many different ways that technology can touch um, the different parts of the municipalities. I mean, going back to Mesa, I mean, they did receive a government experience innovation award. It's pretty interesting. They uh, they did something where it was a user behavior flow pilot program, um, which is a strategy that uses analytics to look at trends and patterns and digital engagement uh, with their website and social media. So going back to, I mean. It'd be hard to believe that a government would uh, take, you know, social media even and and run something through social media, even have a plan around it that they're already using analytics to gauge, you know, behavioral patterns. I mean, do you think that there's going to be a point in which the government oversteps these data boundaries? And I mean, that's that's always a big, I mean, big thing. You got Google and Facebook and all that on on the private sector side, and they're getting questioned by the government. I mean, do you think we'll run into an issue with that at all? Yes. <laughs> well, if you think about it, like, I mean, we're in election time right now and we'll stay away from politics, but there's a lot of data being gathered. And then there's also a lot of data and information being disseminated through these these channels. Um, so if you're a government agency and you're using typical like social media, for example, you're able to gather that information. And obviously there's like a, it's not altruistic, but a practical use for that information. Um, it could be responding to something going on in a community that you want to get ahead of. Let's just use that as an example. Um, but I, you know, uh, companies that capture data, um, being a government agency, or like you said, a Facebook or a Google or whomever, you know, we don't know how that data is really used right now. And we really don't know how it's going to be used in the future. <laughs> um, so I think some of this, even though like if I live in Northeast Mesa and there, you, I don't know if you've used apps like Nextdoor. I mean, there's a lot of, I'll call it personal information, like neighborhood specific information yeah. about like, there was a break in over here. I lost my dog over there. I think these are data points that really haven't been combined into customer intelligence. So yeah, it does make me a little nervous, you know, about all that, all the data privacy um, and the government, they collect a lot more uh, <laughs> private information, uh -huh. you know, than, 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 the, than a lot of other industries. Yeah. Kind of two schools of thoughts. One, I mean, it's, there's so much good that can be done if you know where uh, break-ins and, and stuff are happening. I mean, you can put more resources there, but at the other end, I mean, if you're incentivized and you get, you know, taxes from more, more people or citizens moving in, you got more homeowners, you got more property taxes coming in. That's more revenue for the city. I mean, that's where you, you mentioned at one point that, you know, the cities don't compete, but this is where they could start to maybe leverage data to incentivize people, more people to move into their, their specific city so that they can win more dollars from the, the county level and, and whatnot. But I mean, it's almost like the cities could start operating as individual uh, um, companies, which I mean, hopefully that doesn't happen, but well, you mentioned something interesting, <clears throat> you know, I was thinking about my power bill and, um, you know, it's super hot here, uh, during the summer and super hot here still <laughs> and we're in the fall. Um, but you know, I've gotten 
notifications that if I want to go on some sort of um, not payment plan, but um, like average uh, energy consumption and agree to a certain energy consumption, uh, that power company is willing to uh, take less money for me because then they can balance uh, demand and uh, supply and demand of the power. Um, so I, I'm not exactly how that ties, but it is kind of ringing a bell mm-hmm. between some incentives that uh, government agencies could give to residents based on, you know, that is, that's fueled by uh, digital infrastructure. I mean, obviously you need like the power company, they have the data to understand the, the supply and demand coming off the grid and how me specifically, my consumption patterns over the last three years, how it fits in their world. And they can come forward and say, you know, if you're willing to pay X, it'll be X for the entire year, every month mm-hmm. in order for them to recommend that, you know, they've got to be combining a lot of data and analyzing it. And it's not human beings doing it. You know, it's machines doing it. AI, little robots. Little robots. <laughs> so yeah, kind of on the, the final topic, um, you know, you mentioned something about smart cities. I think there's a lot of different connotations about that privacy. It's cool. Um, but I mean, overall, what are, I mean, just what are your general thoughts on smart cities? Um, overall, I think it's like any other industry. There's lots of really cool things going on. And I guess, I guess how uh, would you define smart city? Sorry. Cause that's, I mean, that's, I, I you hear smart city. I mean, what makes it smart? Is it the amount of technology that's in there or how it's leveraged? I mean, I guess, how would you define a smart city before we get into your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would define it. It seems like a lot of it's focused on the environment and transit, mm-hmm. making it easy to get around and also making the city have a smaller carbon footprint. And so as I mean, Mesa is rolling that out. Um, I know there's a lot more technology and a lot, a lot of talks here in Arizona about doing more of it across other cities. I mean, do you think this is a good thing or, uh, I mean, are there complications that can come with it or. Well, I'm just thinking of, uh, you know, thinking of like subway systems or trains or even public transit, like that's, I'll call it, that's kind of like old school, smart city stuff, right? It helps with the environment. It helps with transit and all that sort of stuff, a better user experience. You don't have to fight traffic. Um, and just thinking of the train system that was recently put in, you know, connecting Phoenix to some of the outlying cities, I'm just going to go out on a limb. I don't know the (laughs) finances, but I would say it's not working. Yeah. Yeah. And, And I think, at least from a consumer perspective, one of the reasons it's not working is because it's not connected to the right parts of the city of where people are needing to commute from. And logically, I get why the the train system is going on the routes it's going, you know, from like center of city to center of city. But in reality, the people who would use it most don't live in the center of the city. They yeah. live in the suburbs. So it's completely futile for me. Yeah. And, and, and again, broad swaths here, but the folks who live in the suburbs that are commuting into a major city generally pay more taxes. So it, there's a disconnect between my tax dollars just went to fund this public transportation system, which I can't use. So I'm not behind it. And yeah. the next thing you roll out to me, I'm not interested in either because, you know, you, Squandered is a big word, but yeah, where my dollars went were useless. So how do you think that gets fixed? 
Cause I mean, I, I agree. I mean, it's like spent all this time and energy and money on, on like the light rail to extend it even further into Mesa. But I'm like, you guys could have gone the other way and got us, you know, more people out to, uh, the, the Cardinal stadium over at, at, you know, more sporting events, which gets people out and about cross city, gets people spending money, which then you have more taxes. I mean, overall, it seemed like that would be a better choice or decision. Um, but obviously that's not the one that was made. So, I mean, it's, it's, at what point do you think this happens or is this just how governments are going to be run? I guess the simple answer to me is you got to educate the consumers and then the consumers need to vote. Yeah. Very, <laughs> very simple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, these are, these are, um, you know, that's why we have government set up the way it is checks mm. and balances, et cetera. And why we elect officials to carry our voice, um, into, you know, make policy and make laws Yeah, and allocate money. Yep. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And and to me, I mean, from all this, what what I'm more excited about is, I mean, I'm, you know, being in digital marketing and technology for so long, the efficiencies that are there um, and what it's done for the private sector and businesses and, and all that. And it's, I think there's going to be a huge wave of opportunity as governments start to adopt it um, a bit quicker. And so I'm excited to see what that looks like. But I mean, as we kind of, kind of wrap up, I mean, when it comes to government and technology and, and digital transformation in general, I mean, what are your just final thoughts, takeaways about how they, they kind of work together? Uh, first, it's really exciting. Um, to see different agencies uh, across the country really embracing digital. It tells me they're not doing it just for the sake of doing it because they need to be accountable for every dollar and make sure there's some form of ROI attached to it. So that's pretty exciting. From the agency front, even talking through it right now, it also kind of excites me as a, a digital agency who, you know, we're more data oriented. So by definition, we're more black and white. Uh, so competing in that space for work makes me a lot more comfortable than competing for other types of work. Um, so yeah, it excites me from the direction that agencies are headed, uh, government agencies are headed, the opportunities it presents for digital agencies. And then, you know, not to be cliche about it, but, you know, consumers, like as a consumer, as a resident, um, I like being able to have an easier, more seamless, smarter digital experience. Yep. No, I, I can agree more. There's nothing that, that makes me more, more upset than having to go to a government building. I'm going to be there for three, four hours and my whole, my whole day is gone. Well, one thing that's really cool is, uh, I mean, you built kind of your business on automation and digital communication. And so, I mean, city of Glendale, city of Tempe, you know, if you're, if the government officials are out there and, and want this, I mean, Brian, how do they, they find you so that they can engage with you and, and you could, uh, bring on the, the efficiencies at the government level. Uh, three ways. Brian Barrett on LinkedIn, OCTPerformance.com and Automated.Digital. Three different ways to connect and love to talk to you guys about automation and improving the customer experience. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Digital Done Right. And we'll catch you next time. 